Did you know that 13% of families in the U.S. struggle with food insecurity? And in Canada, 18%. If you don't have food insecurity, then stay tuned because I'm going to take you somewhere that you may have never been. We're going inside a local food bank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a holiday episode of the Resilient Journey podcast presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and I want to encourage you to consider making a difference this holiday season by donating to your local food bank. And this week, I'm joined by the executive director of my town's food bank, Sharon Palmer. Sharon and I talk about the social isolation associated with food insecurity. We dispel some myths related to food banks and talk about the importance of treating people with dignity and the best way that you can make a healthy donation. Sharon tells me a story that reminds us that everyone matters and that food banks make a difference. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. Really happy to have you. Take a minute before we get into this too much and introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Mark. So my name is Sharon Palmer, and I am the executive director of the Berry Food Bank. So we're going to talk today about food banks and Barry is a community about oh an hour ish, depending on traffic. It's a lot more than that, but an hour ish north of Toronto. About one hundred and twenty five thousand people, I guess, is the population of Barry. So, uh, a, you know, a fairly good sized city. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you today is because people who are familiar with this with me know that we always do this thing, pay it forward Saturday. And that is, for those of you who don't know, it's the last Saturday before Christmas, we encourage people to go out and do something nice for someone, uh, do something nice for a stranger. And that can be buying breakfast for someone or coffee or whatever. But this year, what we want to focus on is we want to ask people for Pay It Forward Saturday to go out and donate to a food bank. So we're going to talk to Sharon here today, uh, yes, specifically about the Barry Ontario Food Bank, but it's a microcosm, isn't it, really, of, of food banks everywhere. And I think a lot of the principles will be the same. Yeah, that's true. I think that the Berry Food Bank has experienced many of the same trends that they're seeing both provincially and nationally. Okay. So you talked about a trend there. One of the things that you're seeing, and I want to make sure I got this right, is this major increase in demand. And do, do I understand this right, that you said that numbers are doubling year over year, like 2023 compared to this time last year? Exactly. So in November, we were up 109% from November of last year. And uh, each month, we're just seeing that, that same level of increase. And of course, we were increasing last year as well. So it's quite an alarming uh, increase that we're seeing. And you know, means that we really have to be thinking about how we do things differently going forward to keep up with this demand. When we measure volume for food banks, uh, is that based on the number of clients that come through or the amount of food that, that is, uh, is issued? Well, what's your main measurement for that? So our main measurement is number of individuals supported. So uh, we also look at households, but then we look at number of people per household. Mm -hmm. And and our main count is the number of individuals in total that we're helping. We also always measure the amount of food that we are both purchasing as well as having donated to us. And we look at that by category in terms of things like produce or meat or canned goods. Um, so we can and dairy um, kind of items so that we know 
kind of what the mix of products that we are both getting donated and having to purchase. So what we're saying is your your organization is servicing twice as many people in November of this year as you did in November of 2022. And so it stands right. to reason it's the double the amount of food and and double the amount, more than double the amount of overhead and cost, right? Um, not so much on overhead. I mean, we have a, a 10,000 square foot warehouse that we is our main shopping area uh, and warehouse space. What we what we did do in the last year is change that space up so that we now have a, what we call a self-shopping model. Um, but our overhead, where we see those increases are things like uh, uh, driving time. So we have you know, three trucks, uh, one big panel truck and two smaller vans that are on the road all the time now picking up both food rescue and doing uh, picking up purchase foods and working on food drives and things like that. So there's where we see some of our increased costs. Plus, we've had to add staff as well. One of the things that I want to do in my time with you here today is to, to maybe dispel some of the myths that might be common when people think about food banks. And I think that one of the myths might be that this is all homeless people and or people who might be unemployed or between jobs or things like that. But when I met you yesterday, you said it was, it was a little different than that, isn't it? So that one of the big uh, changes that we've seen in the past year or so is the number of people who are employed. Um, so about 17% of all people who visit food banks are do have employment income, but they tend to be at the, the very low end of the employment um, range in terms of you know gig economy, part-time jobs, uh, low wages, uh, and they typically just can't make ends meet with uh, with the wages that they're getting. Um, some of the other trends we we see are the number of people on social assistance. Um, so people who are on what we call Ontario Disability Pension. Uh, support support payments, um, Ontario Works um, for people who are unemployed, uh, senior citizens on pensions, those people who are on fixed incomes. In most cases, those government programs have not kept up with the, with the increase in the cost of living, and most of them are well below the poverty line in terms of what they're trying to make uh, do with. And so many of them rely exclusively on the food bank for their food. And so in a lot of cases, this isn't just an individual. Uh, sometimes it's families and, and things like that, right? Absolutely. And so so larger families, there's another segment that has increased. So if you have three or four children in your household, um, that, again, can be another factor where we're seeing more of those large families coming to us for help. Senior I, citizens, it's a small mm -hmm. seg segment in total, but a growing segment, about 45 up. 45% year over year in terms of uh, people over the age of 65 um, visiting food banks. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I, so I was in your office yesterday uh, and we were meeting to set up this interview. And wh while I was there uh, for me, compared to the last time I, I was in there, uh, it was, it was quite full. It was packed. And there were sort of two different sets of, people and, and two different areas of the building where they were. So some were in the office and then some were in the store area, I guess, as you would refer to as the self shopping area. 
So uh, how does that work? Do, do people need to register? Is that why there are people in the office? And then uh, talk about how that shopping model works. Sure. So, so everyone does have to register. So the requirements to use the food bank are that they live in our geographic area. The food banks in, our, in Canada are all organized geographically. So we serve a specific area. So they need to show us proof of address um, for Barry and Innisfil, which is our geographic area. Uh, through a utility bill, a rent receipt, um, something that proves their address, and then photo ID for themselves and identification for the members of their household. So those are the key criteria to use it. Um, and then when they check in, they we ask them a number of questions about their household situation. So for example, with the composition, knowing that from their their ID from their family members. Um, you know, we look at if there's babies in the in the household. Do the babies need diapers? Do they need formula? Do they need wipes? If there's children, school-aged children, we have children's snacks available. So there's an allotment per child of uh, school snacks. Um, and then we ask about other needs, so it might be feminine hygiene products, um, uh, gluten-free, um, and any other household items that we may have available at that time that are kind of special extra items. And those get noted on a piece of paper and uh, that piece of paper is all color coded as you go into the warehouse to shop. Um, each shelving area is has a, a color coded sheet that also says, okay, you're a family of five, you can have X number off of this, uh, yeah. this shelf. Family of one, family of two, three, four or five plus. And so they go around and they shop and they, they look at their sheet and they can see how many items they can choose. Say, for example, cereal. If you're a family of one, you can have one box of cereal, but family of uh, three, four can have two boxes of cereal. So that is how we kind of control the quantities. Um, and then at the end of the process, there is a checkout, just like there would be at the grocery store. And that is where our, our volunteers are just validating the um, the items that they've taken and uh, against their family composition and needs. But the, the real benefit of this model is that it gives a lot of dignity to the client. So in the past, in, in, um, in a lot of food banks, it's a hamper. So you get what's in that hamper for that month. Right. And that may not be your taste. It may not be culturally appropriate for you. It may not meet your dietary needs. Uh, and there's a lot of waste that goes along with that. So if you are given a jar of peanut butter and you have an allergy, you are not going to eat the peanut butter. So there's waste happening. But in this model, what we found is that there's much less waste and people are very grateful and, and, um, and feel much better about having to come to a food bank if they have this ability to choose what they and their families will actually eat. You told me something yesterday and I'd like, to, to get you to repeat what you said, you were talking about not only, of course, the health benefits of, of having food, but the the social and emotional benefits of being able to share food with people. So if a child from school has a friend over that type of thing, uh, explain what you were talking about. Right. So if, if you're food insecure uh, and you have um, a school-aged child, um, chances are you're not going to have your child bring a friend over after school because, you know, quite often that that involves, you know, a snack for the, for the children. And if you don't have enough for your own children, you don't have enough to share with other children as well. 
And that extends into other social situations. So being food insecure can be very isolating, um, both from friends and family. You know, it's a very common thing when you go to someone's home to, to be offered something to eat, something to drink. And again, if you don't have the ability to do that, you feel uncomfortable having people over. Um, and so as a result, there's a social isolation that happens there um, that's not healthy for anybody and, and it doesn't lead to a, a, you know, a positive outlook on life. And there's a lot of stress obviously associated too with not, not having enough. And, you know, one of, parents in particular are very grateful for getting food um, to feed their children because it's a terrible feeling not to have enough um, mm -hmm. for a child in your household that you know that you care very deeply about and not being able to have enough food for them. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, amazing. And, and at this time of year, um, we're all sort of drawn towards giving, aren't we? And mm -hmm. I think that uh, this is a, a, a good thing to do. But you were telling me that this time of year, you generally don't have issues with people giving. It's it's after this that um, some of the donations start to dry up a little bit. That's true. So uh, sort of between Thanksgiving and Christmas is, is a key period for us with December being the month where the most people uh, do make donations. And that's wonderful. Uh, but in those days, donations typically last for a certain length of time. But as you get through into the winter, you know, you're, you've worked your way through those food donations and, and your financial donations. So it gets a little thin going through that springtime. Uh, there's always a little bit of an increase around Easter. That's another key time when people do give. Uh, but then going into the early summer months, um, no, it's not a time when people think about it. So, but in reality, we, we eat each day, right? And so right. I would always encourage people to think about things like monthly giving because it helps us sustain our, our operations throughout the whole year. Well, let's talk a little bit about giving then, and, and it's a good segue into donations. A couple of different ways that, let's talk about individuals first. So me as a person, there's a couple of different ways that I can give. I can either drop off food or I can donate financially. Is there a preference from your side? So, our preference is always for financial donations because it gives us the flexibility to buy the items that we need. So if we need milk or meat or produce um, or dairy, and we have the financial resources to do that, we can go out and buy it. And the other thing is that we have amazing relationships with our local grocers who are very supportive and work with us to get us the best prices possible. So they'll alarm, uh, alert us when there's um, things coming on sale and, and we, so we can buy and buy larger quantities when there's great discounts available. And so then um, we even have grocers that will you know, allow us to buy and store things at their facility if we don't have the room for it. Mm. So we can really stretch a dollar uh, a lot farther and we can buy in bulk as well. And that helps us. Helps us. So the financial donations are flexible and we can make that dollar go further than most people can at their local grocery store. You just dispelled another myth there talking about meats and milk and dairy and different things like that, because I think sometimes people think that it's canned goods and non-perishable items, but uh, it's, it's a lot of things, isn't it? It is. And, and one of the things that we have adapted to is just the adapting, um, 
clientele that we have as well. So, um, you know, new immigrants is a is a category of um, people that we that have definitely been uh, increasing over the last few years. They often have different dietary preferences. Um, and in many other cultures, canned goods are not um, part of their their diet. Some of them don't even know what to do with them. Um, and things that we think of, you know, Canadians as staples like spaghetti and pasta sauce, um, they don't even know how to cook. <laughs> so, uh, so we've had to really rethink our uh, assortment of what we offer, and um, particularly fresh fruits and vegetables are very valued, valued by everybody, but they're particularly appropriate for some of the other cultures that we we support. And um, meat, milk, uh, eggs, um, and sometimes cheese, if we have it, are also things that are very appreciated by our clientele. And I think that one of the things that's changed about food banks is we're much more conscious of uh, nutrition and the nutritional value of the food that we are offering and trying to do a good job. So if you've got maybe you've got less food, but you want to make sure it is, is as nutritional as possible. Um, so that you're at least supplementing with with good food. Now, we were talking about individuals donating, but you were telling me yesterday that businesses donate as well. And of course, some of those are in the food distribution industry. You talked about grocers and things like that. But you have other corporations that get involved too, right? We do. So, so there's a couple of different ways uh, businesses get involved. So uh, businesses that have relationships with um, the food industry, be they a manufacturer, a wholesaler, an importer. Um, so so an example would be a wholesaler, an importer who has stock that doesn't have a shelf life that's long enough to distribute to a retailer. Um, we can take that product, we can turn it around really quickly. And otherwise, oftentimes that product would be thrown out. Similarly with the manufacturing, you know, the beginning of a, of a packaging on a line or at the end of it, there might be some mispackaged items. And again, those often get thrown out. But for us, we can take those items. There's nothing wrong with the quality of the of the food. And we're very happy to take those types of items. So that's a couple of ways that um, food-related uh, companies get involved with us. And another one is what we call cause marketing. Uh, and that's where a business does well by doing well um, in the community. And I, there's a couple that really come to mind. We have a, a local um, business owner who has a mattress company and he uh, doesn't charge for delivery, but he asks his, his customers to make a healthy donation to the food bank for free mm -hmm. delivery. And he really encourages that healthy donation. And I like that healthy donation. Healthy donation. And yeah. he, he brings us thousands and thousands of pounds of food every year from that wow. program. And I, and I asked him, I said, you know, why did, you know, his name's Mike and his company is Mike the Mattress Guy. And I said, Mike, how did you get started doing this? And he said, you know, when I started my business, he said, nobody wanted to pay for delivery. And I came up with this idea. And he says, when I, uh, pick up or I drop off the mattress and pick up the goods. I always say to the to the customer, I said, "Doesn't that make you feel good hmm. to give that food uh, to the food bank?" And they say, "Yes, it does." 
And so he has established this connection with, with the client and, and making them think about this, this lovely feeling of doing well and, and helping somebody else. And it has led to tremendous repeat business and a wonderful reputation in the market. And so it's really helped him grow his business. And there's lots of examples of other companies who offer a discount or a promotion if people make a donation to the food bank. Um, and uh, there's another business, Cotty's Cleaners, nothing to do with food, but they give a 20% discount on their dry cleaning when you make a donation to the food bank. And again, it's part of their brand and uh, the part of the community and the community seems to love to support them with this program. So, and it differentiates them from other cleaners in the area. So yeah, It does for sure. And the other thing that it shows is just how clever people can be when a cause matters to them. And there isn't an organization that's listening to this today that you couldn't figure out some way to, yes. even if it's just, you know what, I'm going to take a small percentage out of my profits and, and, you know, yeah. that that's what we're going to do. Sharon, I'm wondering if there is a particular story that comes to mind about impact, whether it was someone who touched you or something that really stands out at you through your years as executive director of the Berry Food Bank, that just maybe it still gives you tears or curls your lip a little bit. So there, there's two stories that, that always come to mind. And, and the first one is um, we do deliveries to people who uh, can't get to the food bank for various reasons. Sometimes it's a disability, sometimes it's an illness or when, during COVID it was you know, um, having to quarantine. And uh, we were validating um, addresses and making sure that the people who were getting deliveries, you know, still needed those deliveries. And so we'd asked everybody to, you know, come in and update their personal information that we keep on top of them. And one morning I'm coming to the, um, to the front door and to unlock and there's a gentleman there in a wheelchair and he's a double amputee. Mm. And, uh, so I greeted him and I said, oh, how are you today? And, and he said, great. And he was very positive and happy. And, and he said, I said, can I help you? And he says, yes, I'm here to update my information. I got a call and they wanted me to come in and update my personal information. And I have a new address, so I wanted to give it to you. And I felt sick to my stomach because I, of course, and whoever called didn't realize that he was a, a double amputee when they were talking to him on the phone. And he'd mm. taken a bus to get to us, and it was no easy feat for him to get there. Sure. But he was more than happy to come in and, and update his information. So, you know, I, I chatted with him a little bit more, and I said, oh, you, you're moving. And he said, yes, I had to move because I couldn't afford my, my last apartment. And he said, I wanted to ask if you would be able to um, bring the groceries up to the second floor, which is where my new apartment is. He says, it's, there's stairs up to my, my new apartment. And I said, Why? well, of course we will. We'll, we'll make sure we can get somebody who will you know, bring the groceries to your, to your apartment. I said, but how do you get up to your apartment? Yeah. And he said, I go up on my bum. Oh, wow. And that one's the one that gets me every time. I just. Wow. I just feel that man. And, he, you know, just he was such a lovely person. And it was we had such a nice chat. And I just think how hard that that guy's life is, you know. And, you know, obviously we're, we're a pretty important part of getting food to him and, and our, our ability to get it to him 
volunteer drivers and and to be able to deliver it to his apartment where he needs it was you know big thing for him and yeah and sometimes you just don't know what role you're playing in somebody's life you know and you know i'm glad you told that story because so many times you know we can look down our noses at people who might need a food bank and and we don't realize that they matter too and and they're valuable too and and this is a uh, a good thing to remember. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. This is the um, maybe the the fun question for you. If you had to pick a song, mm-hmm. maybe it's your theme song. Maybe it's a song. If you were to get up to speak somewhere, you would have it playing. What song would you choose, and why? So it's a song. Uh, it's called "Try a Little Kindness." Mm. And it's a it's a fun song, and there's a version of it that uh, Canadian artist Jan Arden does with a with a school group uh, of, of kids playing ukule- ukulele, and it is fun, and it is uplifting, and it is positive, and its message is just you know try a little kindness, and I just think that's that's a perfect um, theme song for for the food bank and for the experience that we have with our clients every day, and you know you realize. Some people think working at a food might, bank might be uh, a difficult thing to do, but in reality, it is a very positive place. And we talk, when I talk to the volunteers, I say, we can't solve everybody's problem in their life, but we can, we can have a positive environment here. We can smile. We can offer hope. We can be happy. We can connect with them um, and just try a little kindness and it'll always help somebody's day. And I just, I think that's what, if nothing else, we can offer a little hope and a little kindness to anybody every day. I love that. And it's a perfect song for you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that one up. I'm going to give you the last word here. How can people find their local food bank and what encouragement would you give to people for Christmas, the holidays, pay it forward Saturday uh, around helping those with food insecurity? So there, there's lots of ways to help. Um, obviously, a donation to the food bank, either financial or food, is always going to be welcome. Um, volunteering is a very positive uh, experience. I think we have many, many volunteers. We have over 120 here now, uh, and they wow. they love their jobs. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, they come back. They are dedicated. They enjoy the environment, and they enjoy what they're able to do to help somebody else and uh, we try to have a really fun upbeat environment here and they like to be part of it and i think that a lot of food banks are like that where we we kind of have the same ethos of wanting to be helpful and and uh, joyful in the work that we do and so i would always encourage people to get involved and um, and experience that for themselves Good. Sharon, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's a very busy time of year for you. So thank you my, so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. I always enjoy talking about um, the food bank and the work that we do. I want to thank Sharon Palmer for being my guest and for the work that she does as the executive director of a food bank, uh, serving those who are most vulnerable in our community. The Resilient Journey podcast is a Resilience Think Tank production, and that is it. We are done. 2023 is in the books. I want to thank all of you who subscribed, downloaded, listened, commented, encouraged throughout the year. 
And we're going to take a break now for the holidays, but we'll be back in January of 2024 with some more outstanding guests. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. Just a fall.